listening to the Top Music Guitar Podcast, the show for guitar teachers to learn about the craft of teaching great guitar lessons that students love. If you're looking to start or expand your studio and make guitar teaching your full-time dream job, you've come to the right place. Each week, you'll get to hear from some of the top guitar teachers from around the globe and get their best tips and experiences so you too can build your own dream studio. I'm your host, Michael, and I've founded one of the top guitar schools in Australia, written a best-selling curriculum, and I mentor guitar teachers. I'm excited to share my expertise with you and the wisdom of all the experts we interview. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Let's get into it. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Top Music Guitar Teaching Podcast. With me today, I've got a real treat for you guys, someone originally from Philadelphia who now resides in Denver, Colorado. He's taught hundreds of guitar players all around America and has a step-by-step fun and very, very unique approach. And that is someone who has also transcended just merely teaching and gone into authoring books. He's got three titles on Amazon, which we're going to definitely talk about today. And that is Eric Stone. Eric, welcome to the Top Music Guitar Podcast. Hey, Michael. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. And I first saw your 10X guitar book because anything with a 10X logo in front of it gets me excited. And I definitely love all that kind of stuff. Um, Are you a Grant Cardone fan by any chance? I'm aware of him. um, And I have his 10X rule book, but I wouldn't call myself a fan other than just, uh, it's a good book, but I am aware of him, but I wouldn't call myself a fan. That was the first connection. I got, oh, 10X guitar, damn, someone beat me to it. But, uh, you know, I've been watching from afar ever since. And some of the things you talk about, you know, are really, really cool and really, really awesome. And hopefully we'll share some of the amazing things that you've learned from 20 years in the teaching business. It is 20 years as of this year, isn't it? It is 20 years. Uh, I'd say about 12 years or so as, a, as my main time full, full-time gig. Uh, 20 years ago is about when I started, though. Fantastic. So we've got a 20-year wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure tons of guitar playing before that, making this step into teaching. But how about you give the listeners a brief overview of your story so far and how you've gone from just a guitar teacher in the local area to you know, moving to Hollywood and doing all, all that kind of rock star dream there before becoming an author? Sure. Um, well, I started with relatively late, I guess. Uh, I started when I was 17, which is not too late in the grand scheme of things, but compared to you know, childhood virtuosos and uh, a lot of people that end up doing this for a living, it's a little bit on the, the late side of things. And I had an awesome teacher my first year, and we'll talk more about kind of like the struggles I see with uh, beginning guitar players, but I fortunately avoided them. Uh, and I went off to college next year, and that's when my struggles really <laughs> started to begin because it didn't take long for me to kind of hit a, hit the wall and not be a very good or even competent guitar player. And uh, after college, I actually got a master's degree in education from University of Pennsylvania, and I was a former school teacher. Uh, And I understand that you're also uh, almost a teacher. Is that right, Michael? Almost a teacher. I I, I pulled the pin a little bit before I got qualified. um, But yeah, I was almost going down that same path you went down. There's probably some interesting things that we could talk about uh, with regards to that, and I'll, and I'm sure I'll bring up a couple of things uh, today about it. But I was in those years. Uh, I started playing for Metallica um, and just Led Zeppelin, and you know a lot of like the typical bands people my age uh, were into. And I, I think like the first year or so of, of playing, I discovered Dream Theater, discovered uh, 
you know, Steve Vai and the Shrapnel uh, Records guys. And it quickly went from uh, kind of this fun thing of playing guitar to the kind of this, uh, oh my God, how am I ever going to be good as good as uh, these guys? <laughs> uh, you know, just when I just heard their uh, virtuosity. And after graduate school, after teaching, I continued to play, was kind of a middling uh, guitar player at best. And, but I love music, loved, I think I love the idea of playing more than I actually love playing back then. <laughs> and, uh, you know, also had in the back of my mind, oh, it'd be a great idea to be a teacher uh, as well and kind of just combine both of my loves, my love for helping people, and my love for music. And uh, in my, Late 20s, I actually went back to school to the uh, Los Angeles College of Music, Los Angeles uh, Music Academy for a year plus. And it was an awesome experience. It was, uh, you know, moving from Philly to LA, it was uh, in a different world in a way. <laughs> uh, but it, uh, you know, just opened my eyes to so many things. And from a teaching perspective, the most important thing was that. I, I learned uh, kind of like a, a lot of uh, counterintuitive things from different teachers and different clinicians that I uh, uh, saw out there. And it was the first time in the back of my mind where I, I thought, okay, there's like a little bit of a uh, dichotomy between all the things that I was supposed to do to learn and all the things that I was supposed to do to learn how to become a good player. What everyone says is, is like the things that they did uh, to become a good player and, but then versus like the actual things that people did to be, uh, become good players. And it was in the back of my mind, uh, my time in LA. And it's something I really, um, when I moved to the Denver area a year or two after I, I finished out in LA, and it's something I really had a chance to explore in my uh, studio. And we'll talk more about it uh, today where, where, you know, the, the academic stuff I was supposed to teach, it was just like people weren't into it. They weren't really doing well with it. They weren't able to play their songs. But the more that I brought in, uh, kind of just like the uh, things that people mentioned uh, as an aside, like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'll, you know, this is, this is also cool. And then <laughs> and, you know, did that for my students, did that for myself as a player. That's where things really took off. And uh, that's where my, my books came from is, is a lot of that approach. So that's the uh, long answer to your question. <laughs> awesome. And it's really interesting you say that because I'll use the, uh, you know, the analogy that there's obviously the academic book smart approach to learning. And then there's like the, the street smart approach to learning. And there's this whole academic side of guitar playing, which you've got to learn how to sight read. You've got to understand all this theory. You've got to do this, this, and that in this order. And then you've got a whole bunch of our favorite guitar players and rock stars and shredders who just did something completely different and became, you know, the the amazing guitar players that they are. And, you know, it doesn't really matter genre specific, but for every academic guitar player we have, there's a whole bunch of, you know, opposite examples and people who've done things differently and come out with the same, if not uh, a better approach. So, yeah, very interesting to hear you sort of, you know, express it as the dichotomy of, of those opposing ideas. It's not just in the rock world. It's uh, I found that, and it's one of the things that, as I was writing and researching 10S guitar that I wanted to really dig into was like, is this also in the jazz world? And it's absolutely also <laughs> uh, in the jazz world. And um, one, one of the teachers I, tell you, I studied with in LA, Tarek Akoni, who's used to be the head of the guitar department at the LA Music Academy slash LA uh, College of Music. Um, and he's Christina Aguilera, Josh Groban's guitar player, and just had all these really, really high profile gigs. And one of the things that uh, 
was interesting was that he said to us is that a G7 is a G7. <laughs> it's a G7. So it does, it's, it, the notes are the same. It, you're playing funk, you're playing blues, you're playing rock, you're playing jazz, it, but it's like the ornamentations that are, are uh, different with it. And what I, uh, what I found too is that you can really, yeah, if somebody wants to be a quote unquote, you know, hard rock metal guy or shred guy, you can still take concepts because of the, you know, all the, the 12 notes in the chromatic scale are, are the same. You can still take concepts from jazz guys or even practice approaches uh, from uh, jazz guys and apply them to your uh, style of music. And it's all universal. 100%. And I don't know if you found this, but you know, for me, when I was like 16 to 24, I was only about you know, metal and shred. But uh, And one of my first teachers, his name was uh, Fred LeDuc. Um, I went to see him between uh, the end of you know my final year of high school in this eight weeks before starting university. And I was like, Fred, I just got accepted into a jazz degree. Like, you need to help me out here. What do I do? And um, so I studied with him over summer to get my jazz chops up. And he goes, Michael, probably around about age 25, is you're going to start listening to jazz and things like metal. Just probably, you'll still like them. You'll still listen to them every now and then, but you'll be totally into jazz and you'll just totally mellow out and switch. And I was like, I'm never not going to listen to metal. And then sure enough, age 25, jazz stopped saying like elevator music. And I was like, oh, hey, what was that? Like, I reckon I've listened to this song hundreds of times and now it's really starting to appreciate. So just as a side note, I think the uh, as players, we will mature, we'll get bored of the same old things that we can do or that we've mastered or that we finally get the, the, uh, the hang of. And then we go and seek more and more complex things. And that will sometimes take us in that jazz world or that fusion world or you know, even more extreme progressive stuff. So, yeah, that's just my little side note. Sorry to uh, interject in there. <laughs> Yeah, my jazz teacher told me that around about age 25, Michael, uh, you'll stop listening to heavy metal as much. You'll still love it, but something will change and all of a sudden you'll start loving jazz. And I was like, no way. That's never, ever going to happen. And then sure enough, like dead on 25, like um, it just started to sound better. And I sort of segued through guys like Frank Gambale and Scott Henderson and some things like that. But all of a sudden the songs, which I thought were elevator music, just magically sounded like, you know, the best, most exotic sounds in the world. And, you know, here we are all this time later just loving it. So I think. A lot of players and even teachers will mature out of that, you know, one genre kind of mindset and then just start appreciating music, you know, a lot more generally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's very few players who are just like just total one trick ponies where if you don't look somewhere in their past, they've like actually studied many different styles of music. So one of the things I uncovered was um, an interview from Zach Wilde talking about how he uh, studied, out, studied out of the great uh, Ted Green books, <laughs> which... You know, you listen to Zach Wilde and you listen to Ted Green, like you would never think that, <laughs> that, you know, they don't even sound like it's the same instrument. But there's a lot that you can learn from different places and all apply it to uh, your favorite style of music. Yeah, 100%. And yeah, that, that's, it's so funny when you start like hearing or, or researching into some of your favorite players and realizing how verse, how diverse and, and, uh, broad their own influences are to the point where, you know, Zach Wilde and, and Ted Green, you'd go, yeah, no way in hell do those two things connect, but they obviously do. And, you know, the results are amazing. Yeah. And one, one, one mistake that people make though, is that they think that they have to become virtuosos in all styles, but just even just like dipping your toes into like a lot of, as many different genres as possible, uh, is super helpful. One thing I do recommend for all students is, most important thing I learned in LA was getting pretty good at funk guitar and R&B guitar from uh, the late great Ross Bolton, uh, who taught at MI. He 
Al Jarreau's guitar player forever. And it, before I moved out there, I thought you know the most important thing would be learning you know some hip altered uh, sounds or just kind of just you know the different ways to play over uh, chord changes. But by far the, the most important thing that I learned was uh, to learn, actually like, keep a good beat and not, not keep a good sense of time. Which doesn't necessarily mean okay, being able to do you know metronome exercises at 180 beats per minute. It means you know having like these like simple chord changes and simple grooves and being able to make them come alive. And Ross, you can still get his books and you can still find uh, videos of him on YouTube. But I'd really suggest to everyone like yeah, you're not going to be Mr. Jazz and Mr. Country and everything. But if you're going to do just one thing, the most important thing is funk and R&B and really having that solid foundation and rhythm and ability to not just keep time, but to make the time feel good. And I, there's so many guitar players, uh, you know, to see live locally, they either missing the, the, the groove thing. And when I get people from other uh, uh, studios, I'm like, yeah, it's just, you know, like the, the groove and the time just isn't happening, even though they can play uh, metronomically fairly well, there's just like a different level of making stuff really come alive. So that's my big suggestion for that. Yeah, well, that's awesome. So you actually studied with Ross. Oh, yeah. And I, by, by you saying that, you've heard good things about him. <laughs> and the well, way you said it, it's funny you mentioned his book because um, obviously when I was at university, I was probably in my second or third year and, and um, I had an arm operation in the second year. So uh, sorry, I withdrew in the second year, had the operation in the third year and was back to playing in the fourth year. So my degree sort of took me five years instead of two. But I was really, really struggling um, going from like a metal player, repeat it parrot fashion, learn the piece for the exam. I, w- I did have, didn't have any groove, didn't have any feel, didn't understand the instrument well enough, um, was playing catch up uh, rather than being able to you know, learn how to speak. I could, I could imitate like a parrot, but I couldn't speak on my instrument. And I was really struggling. And um I've just gone, man, well, I've got to get my, my chops up. And I went on um, like YouTube and typed in funk guitar strumming because I think we were doing funk for a, a term or a semester or something. And this Ross Bolton tutorial came up and I was like, oh man, this guy's like knows his stuff and he's really, really helpful. So I sort of like watched that, that whatever 90 minute video or whatever it was, kind of like with a splatter paint in the background, that, like, that my- art one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then... um. And then I ordered the book off like Amazon or Book Depository or something and got it like a week later and just like worked my way that entire book. And to this day, it is the most helpful guitar book that I've ever had. And I think like I did a YouTube video saying my top five recommendations. That was my number one recommendation in terms of the book that helped me the most and the, the book that for my advancing students who want to go into more you know, session work or be in bands playing for them to get their funk chops up and their chord changes and understand how to sit on the grooves. It's definitely my biggest recommendation for those who've gone beyond, okay, I can do bar chords. What do I do now? It's like, okay, go learn this funk stuff because it's applicable to so many things. And if you can play funk, you can play metal, you can play jazz. <laughs> it just gets your timing down pat. Well, it gets the timing down and it's the groove and the feel is super important. And you know, even if it's for people that are, you know, just want to be singer songwriting type players, acoustic players, and I don't want to say just just only because there's nothing wrong with just wanting to stop there. You know, you add that and it's just like it's, you know, like the, the guitar is on like the easiest uh, cheat video game cheat codes ever. <laughs> it's, it's the simplest thing. 
because uh, it, it, you know, you want to just, just play by the campfire. Like, all right, you could do James Brown songs and make them feel good. It's just, you know, like playing Beatles or whatever is, is making that feel good. It's just, it's, uh, it, it's just a huge world of difference. But what I also found too is that really it helps people tap into like the human side of playing, where it's not, you know, you understand the dynamics, you understand how to make um, guitar parts come alive. And that was another big thing that I learned out in LA was just not to have everything just in like a total flat line <laughs> with, uh, with my playing and just learning like a little bit about that funk and R, uh, R and B and that like the ability to groove. It's just like, for me, that's like the first step of getting people to really start to tell compelling stories and like learn how to make their uh, own music come alive. That's really important. You mentioned, you know, that's the flat line there. How do you bring your music uh, to life? So Definitely really, really important lessons. And, oh, man, I'm just so jealous right now that, you know, you've got to learn with Ross. And uh, it's a real shame because when I was, like, um, putting together a list of people for this podcast, I was like, oh, I would love to be able to go back in time and, and speak to him. And, unfortunately, you know, he's since passed. And um, that was, I reckon, within about six months of me first discovering him as well. So I was like, oh, I found like, the coolest guy in the world. And I was just, you know, getting a bit of a fanboy happening. And I was, like, doing all the research on him and going, oh, man, like, if I'm in LA next year, maybe I can call in and, and then, you know, unfortunately too late. Uh, on YouTube, there are uh, some, someone did take like a video camera over to his house, maybe his basement slash studio. So there, there is like maybe like a half hours or 40 minutes worth, like private lessons from his basement. We probably, we probably would have been a couple of years uh, before he died. Um, but another uh, tribute to Ross is just like, you know, I was not, remotely good at that uh style back then and now i'm at the point where if i dedicated a little bit of time to it i could really be awesome at it but i'm like good enough that i can do any <laughs> gig that i need to do at this point in my uh, <laughs> in my life but um you know i was pretty bad with it back then and what i remember from from ross was just like he just had this you know patience and kindness towards uh everybody and it wasn't just you know like, okay i'm just gonna put this uh, you know time in for the uh people who are going to be you know the next guitar playing superstars he put a ridiculous amount of time uh, extra time into helping me and i was bad it was we had 10 week quarters and i, I think we had like I had two or three quarters with ross you know for maybe like half the time i was terrible <laughs> with it but i remember uh, you know there's one one time where it clicked and it was like pretty good <laughs> and then it's like oh my god this is actually working and uh you know ross was elated and it just like you know and it just like made his day that you know here was this guy who objectively sucked at the the funk and r&b style um that you know all of a sudden you know it clicks for me and it's like wow that's you know it really made his day and that kind of uh excitement for him it's something that's important to have as a teacher because it's you know you really the guitar is what you're teaching people but it's just you know you really want to touch them on a, a deeper level and one, one last point too about the funk and uh, r&b stuff is that i'd played in a uh, like jazz slash i mean i guess we'd call it like a funk band before i went to la and one of the songs was uh, uh chameleon by herbie hancock and um you know, I was like, oh, I can play this. This is easy. You know, I did it in the band and it was easy. And, um, you know, I'll, ne I'll never forget, like, the first time I'm playing in, in front of Ross, 
you know, it's just awful. Like, you know, you know, fell on my face and, you know, every possible way that I could have fallen on my face. And, and I said to him, um, no, he said, to, you know, I turned around, look at him and he's like, oh, you, you've, you've never played this kind of music before, have you? <laughs> and I didn't want to be like, oh yeah, no, I've, uh, played it before and I thought it was easy. And I was just like, no, but you know, he did it in a kind of like reassuring way. Like, okay, we'll get there. But there's a, a difference between just kind of like being able to get by with it and you, you know faking your way through it. But uh, funk and R and B is just so important that it's just, it's worth your time to really dig in and play it authentically. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, I think we as teachers we've got to have that role of you know the nurturer and see some people as are going to be super simple to teach from the beginning, and other people are going to you know be like a seed that needs to be watered and watered and watered and watered, but eventually it'll bloom. And as long as we give it you know attention, whether that's us to ourselves and going, yeah, I've got to keep on watering my funk playing or watering my jazz playing. I need to keep on you know investing time into nurturing it. It'll get there. And the same thing is true of our students, and, and great teachers realize that. I agree. Now, Ross is the author of one of my favorite books, but you yourself have transitioned from, you know, being a guitar teacher into being an author. And you've got three books out at the moment, and I believe a couple more coming down the pipeline. So your first book is called The Beginner Guitar Emergency Survival System. So what do you think most beginner guitarists get wrong? And what sort of led to you coming up with this special method for them, uh, a special book for them? And, you know, it sounds like situations pretty dire with some people. And, you know, this is the rescue operation. So tell us all about this book. Well, I came up with a title because uh, years ago, Fender did a study that showed 90% of people uh, who start playing guitar quit within a year. <laughs> and I said, man, that's pretty bad. And then I thought, like, you know, how bad you know, you extrapolate those numbers out, it must be just abysmal for people to kind of um, keep up with it. And, you know, as the reason I wrote it was because it's just like, as most teachers, it's just like the majority of people you get will be, won't even be like intermediate players. It's, you know, people with like no experience or people who, you know, just like various levels of uh, uh, beginning guitar experience. And what, uh, I found like the more that I, I I taught them was one is that um, in in the book I have a metaphor right, that's called the uh, dead end guitar habits where it's like people are in a maze they think that they're doing the right things but like what the right but people uh, do naturally by instinct actually is uh, harms their guitar playing in the long run so for example one of the biggest mistakes that I, I saw immediately as I started teaching beginners was that people you know, they'd look at the C chord and they'd uh, put their fingers down uh, sequentially, not simultaneously, because, okay, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And, uh, you know, it's natural to do that. But what happens is that gets cut, gets caught in people's muscle memory. And it's, you know, but then, then, you know, before they know it, they can't play any chord without putting their fingers down sequentially. And I even, you know, once had a guy who played for like 10 years and he had like a decent, strumming ability he was you know pretty good um with that but he couldn't you know switch between chords in time because he had to put his fingers down sequentially at that so that's one example but there's quite a few examples of what i um like that of just you know like the physical challenges that people have in the beginning and you know just like helping them kind of just like overcome just like the obstacles so they can even get to the point where it's uh you know, they get past the beginning level, no matter what level that they want to get to. A another thing that I found with um, 
uh, with that with that book is that uh, people have a tendency to try to learn too many things. So I, you know, I once had this uh, retired guy, you know, and he tried finger picking, he tried blues riffs, tried you know different scales, tried different chords, tried you know, and there's like like twenty plus like different. I think there was a country that was like somewhere in there. And, you know, he tried like 20 different categories of stuff on his own and through uh, classes and other lessons, and he couldn't do any of them well. And uh, what I quickly discovered is that I wanted to have, you know, people want to be able to play music. I want to help them be able to play music as quickly as possible. And I want to give them like the foundation so that they can actually really do the things that they uh, want to do on the guitar. So I only focus on uh, three things. Which is uh, rhythm and strumming. You know, go back to the, the funk thing; it's super important. <laughs> uh, chords and chord progressions, and then just like putting everything together into uh, simple arrangements of songs, so that from like day one, stuff is uh, sounding like songs. What I'm uh, vehemently against, especially for beginners, is just doing you know chord coordination exercises and just uh, you know this, this dull stuff uh, to get people up to a uh, you know, a certain level where they're ready to make music. So I, I, I don't think there's, from my experience, that there needs to be any separation between starting to play guitar and making music. It's just like that, that can happen day one. So that's my approach is all rooted in music for beginners. And that's what the book is about. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And so much of what you said just resonates with me. Everything from you know going one, two, three, and then one, two, three. And I always say to my students, it's like, how you practice is how you play. So if you practice putting the fingers on sequentially, like you said, when you go to play, you put the fingers on sequentially. So yeah, definitely notice that with students and and the fact that, uh, again, they often get so excited and, oh man, to have a time machine and go back to being 15 again and discovering music and guitar for the first time, it's you know absolutely amazing. And I think that's a truly wondrous experience that we have to sometimes tap back into and put ourselves back in the shoes of our students, but also communicate that uh, discipline to say, hey, you know, if you try and do 10 things at once, you're going to be really average at those things, or you'll have too many things uh, that you'll, again, if you've only got 10 buckets of water and you've got 20 things to water in the garden, then you're going to have to let some of those things drop off. And students fall into the trap of, you know, learning things to keep it exciting and fresh without ever falling through. And that causes all the other things to, you know, drop off or not be worked on enough to consolidate into long-term memory. And yet someone who knows everything about guitar but can't perform anything or play anything. And, and that's honestly, that's the biggest problem with like YouTube and tablature is just, you know, you have this easy access stuff and the, nothing really gets learned and mastered the way that it, it should be. So it, for people more advanced in that, it's just like, you know, this collection of, you know, half, baked riffs it's just like it's <laughs> but they can't play songs that's so because you know because you're just going from riff to riff and you know song piece to song piece that's a, that's a different story <laughs> that is and it's uh, again it's never been a time a better time in history to learn guitar because there is so many resources available to you you know youtube is an absolute gold mine but unfortunately as a beginner you don't know what's good what's bad what is great but is the wrong time to learn and you just end up like a dog chasing its tail going off in a million different directions and then just all of a sudden, you know, you can't do anything good and you start questioning whether it guitar's for you because, yeah, maybe it's just a bit too tricky. <laughs> There's too many things I've got to learn. Yeah, and then it's, it's something you also have to balance the entire time because it's, it's you know, you're well aware of the mental side, but it's 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 a battle for people just always thinking that they that they have to do, learn more and more to truly master it. And it's not really the case. It's the opposite. Yeah. I always explain to my students is, hey, if you're going to the gym, you would – 
get a, a, a like a, an exercise program from a personal trainer and it would be the same three exercises you know, may, maybe there's three exercises a day three day cycle per week and you do that for 12 weeks and all you do is those same nine exercises week in week out and you get better at them and your muscles get bigger and you lose weight and you get in shape and then you've got something to show whereas if you went in the gym and you did something different every day every every day of the week you know for 12 weeks straight yeah you do a whole bunch of exercises to an okay level but you know, you'd be totally overwhelmed and you wouldn't get the, the result you're looking for. And when I explain it to students that way, they go, oh, yeah, that kind of makes sense. But unfortunately, as humans, you know, we're wired to seek new, interesting things. So we're, you know, finding our psychology. But the students who can understand or the teachers that can communicate that to their students and say, hey, you know, there's a lot of exciting things, but if you can have a bit of discipline just to stick with these fundamentals, then that's going to get you to where you need to go much sooner. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> oh, we could talk about these beginner you know, things for so long. Um just one final question before we move on to your next book. So what could teachers do better, in your opinion, to help their beginning guitar students navigate, you know, all the hurdles of being a modern guitar player, self-teaching or navigating YouTube and everything in between? Uh, that's a good one. I mean, I, 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 guess, I think I've kind of alluded to it where I found like the physical stuff is really challenging for people and they're not, you know, if there's, again, putting their fingers on sequentially, they don't know how to fret chords and even so that all the notes like sound that clearly, uh, you know, the stuff's getting muted all the time. Um, so I, I pay attention to the, the, uh, the physical struggles. And I would also really just try to connect things to music and make it as exciting for people, um, as, as quickly as possible. You could do it with like what I do where, you know, people from day one, we had, I, I, I do let it be in the key of, uh, G because you could do three of the four chords with one fingers <laughs> with a, with the one finger open chord and you have to do the D chord, unfortunately. But then I give people, you know, I give people real strumming patterns uh, with the whole notes and half notes and quarter notes with it. And then we, you know, and I build from there, but it's, uh, it, it actually, you know, from day one, they can sit down with real arrangements. And I want, and I want to give people that, um, that connection to music as quickly as uh i can and i I do that for little kids too where you know they'll they'll learn star wars uh you know melodies and stuff like that too but i I, you know people have a a natural tendency to want to delay the making of music or feel like okay one you know one where what people do is they put kind of hurdles in place and they look for teachers to kind of put hurdles in place for them as well (laughs) where it's like okay once i can do uh you know these like three, five, 10 different steps and I'll be ready to make music. And it's not the case what you want to, or, or you don't want to be in the position where people are waiting for like a pat in the back for you to uh, actually be ready to make music. You want to be in the position where uh, as quickly as possible, like they feel that confidence and they feel that they're okay. There's a connection between the stuff that I'm getting and actually playing music and if there isn't a connection between the, the stuff that they're, you know, so again, like the, you know, the coordination stuff, I'll see chromatic stuff for, uh, you know, beginners from like the first week. And it's just like, you know, it's just it's stuff that's just not applicable to anything that they'll want to ever do in the foreseeable future or perhaps ever as a guitar player. So I really just try to keep that as uh, laser focused as possible. Awesome stuff. And I really like that you mentioned, you know, simplifying those chords and getting them playing straight away. And ultimately, 
the only limitations our students have are the ones that we generally put on them. And sometimes they'll put on their own little limitations, but you know, I'm sure we've all been amazed by that one kid who can play eruption, who's only 12 years old or someone who, you know, just that you spark that, uh, you know, love of guitar inside them and they come back after having practiced two or three hours a day and just blow you away with how smooth their changes are. So yeah, very important lesson to take away from what you just said in terms of don't put limitations on your students, especially creativity. And that's, something that resonates with me and I almost overcorrect for because coming from the learn it to play at the exam kind of background, you know, I only ever learned pieces off a piece of paper and then played it back. I never learned how to improvise, never learned how to solo or anything like that. And then when I went to a university doing a jazz course where improvisation is the name of the game, it was a very rude awakening for me. So, um, and I just was told, yeah, once you master this, 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 and this, then you can start improvising. When now we get five-year-olds being creative and coming up with their own melodies simply by giving them eight numbers, 0, 2, 3, 5, 7, 8, 10, 12 on a single string. Hey, why don't you jumble them around and see what you can come up with over a backing track? And that's what something that everyone of all ages loves doing is either the warm up or, you know, cool down of their lesson is just having a bit of an improvisation and seeing what comes up. Yeah. And that's actually the natural way of being. And we have to, yeah, we have to coach ourselves to get back into it, but also, uh, you know, the five-year-old, it's the easiest thing in the world for five-year-olds to, uh, uh, do it. it what's get hard, harder is, uh, getting older people especially adults like back into that state of mind where they can actually do it uh, and be and be as open and free about it as possible 100 and i'm sure we've all seen that meme about you know what did you everyone's naturally creative and then you learn how to be less and less creative as you conform to the rules of school and <laughs> things like that and obviously a topic for another day we could go really deep onto that but i do want to move on to your next book 10x guitar and sort of you know reading the synopsis i full disclaimer haven't gotten around to reading this one yet it's a bit hard to get over here in Australia, but I will get around to it. Um, but overcoming frustrations in your playing and also helping develop that freedom of being able to do whatever you want on the instrument. So any thoughts or uh, your reflections on what leads to most guitar players getting stuck on the instrument? It's a, it's a big question. <laughs> um, what, I've, what I've found is that the, what, the way the guitar education has evolved is that it's not really – for more advanced people, it's not really like based so much in vocabulary. It's more based in uh, mechanics, you know, like just like the theoretical stuff. And you know, when you, you as a more advanced player, so we were talking briefly before this, and I want to I want to mention uh, the three eyes uh, to you because it's uh, what I think it's something that naturally leads to uh, people being creative but it's this old long lost system that's just completely um gone by the wayside especially as modern technology has uh, come about but what it is um it's i think i don't even know how, exactly how it started but i i first heard about it from Tarek Akoni, who i mentioned earlier and he said it was the the original jazz guys did it and they just kind of like passed it down from uh, generation to generation and what the three eyes uh, stands for is imitation, integration, and innovation. And what I think that those uh, three steps represent is a sort of just like a complete methodology for learning and advancing as a guitar player, um, because everything is based off of the you know the actual musical uh, vocabulary. So I'll go into like a little bit of detail about it, and then kind of get back to your original question the uh, first step is imitation where you know back in the day there was 
I mean, there's some sheet music, but you couldn't buy, you know, like Charlie Parker. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was no omnibooks until the 70s, which is uh, omnibook is Jamie Abersall transcribed all the Char- Charlie Parker uh, solos and published them. Um, but what people had to do was it's like, like learn by uh, listening to the music deeply, learn by playing, uh, uh, just like picking off like one or two notes at a time uh, from records. And it was this really slow process but what had to happen was they had to imitate what was on the record listen deeply to the recording they had to identify the notes different dynamics all the um you know like the shapes of the lines and everything get it off the recording and sometimes they'd write it down and sometimes they would just get it to the point where they uh played along with it but the imitation steps what it really does is that it it, it it takes what people did naturally to learn their initial la- their, their, their native language, and since music is a language, also it's just like now you're just taking what people did naturally to learn language, and then you're um, making it. You're, you're also doing it as a guitar player. So most people, most people don't even listen to uh, records these days until <laughs> uh, they like, really, really listen to the records. But then if they do, it's just like they're not getting it to the point where they're. Uh, imitating it well and what Targ said is that when you're imitating it you want it to get to the point where what you're playing is indistinguishable from the recording so somebody could walk by and think that whatever van halen steve high or even charlie christian if we're going going way back uh is like actually in the practice room like working out their lines and then you want to take it one step further and get it to the point where what you're doing Somebody could walk by, you know, you're playing it to a metronome and it just sounds just as close to uh, identical to the recording as possible. And the more that you do this, the more, uh, and really, this is like the, what I found the most important thing for, for my development to a real guitar, <laughs> guitar players doing stuff like this. But what, you know, the music gets ingrained in you, imprinted in you, for lack of a better word. And it's just kind of like automatically in, in your brain. And then once you start to learn in your fingers and it's just like, okay, it's there. And then it's just, you're getting all this vocabulary under your fingers through imitation. Next uh, step would be integration. And this is uh, to go back to what we were saying, where you're, when, once you start working with real musical vocabulary like this, instead of saying like, okay, you're gonna, today we're going to do you know the cage, this inversion of the cage for uh, – thirds next week we'll do it in fourths next week we'll do it in fifths you know you actually find like real musical examples if that's what you want you know, if you decided that was something you wanted to do and then you'd um integrate the ideas off the, the recording into your own playing and your own improvisation so like a kid kind of just like working out vocabulary in their mind you'd be working out the vocabulary on your own just jamming and playing or over a backing track um, or whatever, but you'll be taking the stuff that you've actually imitated, uh, do all the nuances off the record, and then you're integrating it into your your own playing. And then the third and final step is innovation, which would be you know, how do you take that and, and really create your own vocabulary um, and your own music and your own kind of, kind of voice with it. And you maybe you combine two different ideas, maybe you change some of the intervals, maybe you ascend and, and instead of descend, but it's is um sort of the process that people went through naturally you know decades and decades de- decades ago and these were the people that you know with no apps and no <laughs> you know couldn't just like look up a uh, youtube video to to learn how to play their their uh, favorite songs and what people did 
and it's how, it's how they be, uh, you know, and all that working directly with stuff off recordings and wrestling with it and getting it under under their fingers, and then saying, like, okay, okay, what can I do with this to make it better? That's kind of like that whole, uh, yeah, and I, I talk more. There's a whole chapter about the three eyes and uh, 10x guitar, but uh, you definitely have <laughs> the the idea from here. Um, but what I really like, like to do with people get that is to like it's a lot easier to be creative with a blues scale if we're playing uh, Freddie King and Albert King lines and they're creating their own lines off of it versus me saying, okay, here's the uh, here's a blues scale and let's play connect the dots and uh, you know for you to come up with uh, riffs or if I show them licks that are uh, based off of it, that are real blues licks, but then it, it, that doesn't necessarily go far enough because it's not it's not necessarily based in the recordings that people actually know and can relate to. So I always try to relate stuff to recordings and to vocabulary to help people springboard their creativity. Fantastic. And I hope everyone listening at home is writing down those. Can you say those three eyes for us one more time? Yeah, it's uh, imitation, integration, and innovation. And I, uh, there's a local in the Denver area, a local jazz radio station, and they had a, I don't even remember who it was, some old uh, jazz guy actually talking about that in an interview in the jazz station. He called the second eye assimilation. So if that's easier for you, that uh, works as well. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And I really appreciate you sharing that topic with us because it's something where, you know, if it's only known by a few people and it's led to some great results. If we can get that out to uh, you know more and more people and increase the quality of education for the next generation so that more of those 90% of people, you know, if we can lower that 90% of people number <laughs> to 85 and then 80 and 70, then we're going to have a whole bunch more guitar players and way more guitar music. And again, that's why we do what we do here at Top Music is because we're trying to improve the quality of teaching and the, the quality of life for our teachers as well. And by being able to understand that as teachers ourselves to get ourselves to somewhere where we're happier with our playing as well as that of our students is really, really important. So Eric, I do appreciate you sharing the three eyes with us. Yeah, no problem. It, it, as soon as I heard it many years ago, I was just like, hallelujah, where's this been? <laughs> and then it, it's, uh, it's gotten similar results for uh, uh, people that I've shared it with over the years. And it needs to be, it's again, known in the jazz world. If you know, if you were Mr bebop i you know i, I would think you would have come across it at some time but um it needs to get out to uh because again all the stuff is universal regardless of your favorite style of music yeah awesome well your third book is called 101 ways to improve your guitar playing and if you could narrow it down to three tips for guitar teachers which they could use to better help their students what would they be so i know we're getting short in time but one of them is uh a uh, quote from Dizzy or uh, Dizzy Gillespie, I think it was Dizzy Gillespie talking about Charlie Christian and John Collins, who were two of the uh, earliest guys took the guitar from the rhythm section to actually making it a, a solo instrument. And uh, what Dizzy said is that he liked John Collins playing more than uh, Charlie Christian because he had multiple different ways to play different things on the guitar uh so so he would say that okay all of the charlie christian's lines were always in one area but uh john collins could play something in, in another area or multiple areas uh with the, the nature of the guitar neck so i like teaching people especially if once they get to the point where they're figuring out vocabulary and stuff by ear is to figure out is not to only get locked into playing things in one area but to take that 
uh, mentality and find how many different places they can play one thing. And for me, that's what really uh, unlocks the fretboard. There's a uh, another awesome concept from uh, Tarek Akoni that uh, Michael Thompson came up with. Who Michael Thompson is a great session player called the Six T's, and uh, it's not you know it's not all I learned was like three I's and six T's in L.A. But it's 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 good for abbreviation. It's good to stick stuff in mind. And one of the six T's are all of them in my book. And if you don't want to get the book, you can still Google it and fi- figure out what Tarek and Michael were talking about. But what the uh, what these guys uh, way they think about playing technique is in the service of like actually executing parts that need to be played on songs as opposed to technique for technique's sake. So that's um, something that I've become uh, really big on is not you know, not just being able to do whatever chromatic exercise or whatever you know string skipping exercise at a certain BPM is they like actually do stuff uh, for the sake of the song. And the third one is to kind of go back to what we said uh, or what we were saying about creativity. And this one, I don't think we have enough time to really get into it, but have you ever heard of John Holt, Michael? And you're, yes. Okay. He's one of my heroes and he's like probably uh, the reason him and John Gatto, if you know him also, the reason why- I don't know John Gatto, unfortunately, but John Holt, yes. Um, it was the reason why I'm not in- uh, left, left uh, teaching when, <laughs> when I did was uh, discovering their work. And one of the things that John Holt uh, talked about is, and I talk about this on 101 Ways, is that little kids at that five-year-old age, when they play, they make mental models of the world. So only, you know, their mental ability only kind of like, or their mental understanding only accounts for about like 10% of what's going on in the world. And if you observe kids playing, it's just, you know, there's a lot of, uh, thinking that's uh that that they're going through to to make sense of the world but as people get older we uh especially as adults we wait until we have all the pieces in place so we would never be comfortable uh improvising or making music if we only quote unquote knew you know like 10 percent. we wouldn't be okay let me just kind of just like figure out the rest of it on my own it's just like people just wait for that extra you know like 90 percent of the information to come in so my encouragement for teachers, for and the people that they, uh, the, their students is to get people, regardless of what it is that they're learning, to get them playing and creating as soon as possible to get them out of that hot habit of waiting for 100% of whatever it is that they're supposed to know before they can make music. Eric, that's some really, really solid advice and wisdom there. And I really appreciate the fact that you've come onto the podcast today to share everything. And I feel like we're just getting started. I wish we could talk for another two or three hours, and I'm sure we definitely could, but we are out of time for today. So on behalf of the Top Music Guitar community, I definitely want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Really looking forward to you coming back and telling us about all the other amazing stuff you're doing. And I know you've got a few more things in the pipeline, so we can definitely uh, get you back to talk about those. But listeners, you can find out more about Eric at www.ericstoneguitar.com, as well as 10xguitar.com. And of course, if you look up those three books that he has, the Beginner Guitar Survival Kit, Emergency Survival System, sorry, 101 Ways to Transform Your Guitar Playing, and of course, 10X Guitar. Great reads. Check them out online on Amazon. And Eric, once again, thanks for coming to the podcast. Thanks. And sorry about my cell phone going off, but uh, thank you. And I'll talk to you soon, Michael. No worries. Guys, thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next exciting episode of the Top Music Guitar Podcast. Until next time, stay safe. Have a good one.
you enjoy this show and want to hear more of our work, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. For links and resources mentioned in this episode, including a free ebook on how to find more guitar students, visit us at www.topmusic.co slash guitar or check out the show notes. And lastly, thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode.